More than iron. More than lead. More than gold I need electricity. I need it more than I need lamb or pork or lettuce or cucumber. I need it for my dreams. Blue potatoes are ungainly things. As are red and purple lamb chops. Yet when we eat and creep and fall. We never ask a silent question. Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. What you just heard was a poem written by a computer and read by one. We've been exploring the advance of artificial intelligence in a series of episodes. And in this one, we're looking at AI's attempt to conquer creativity, to replicate inspiration and artistic endeavour, to write like a human. Computers have been writing for years. In fact, that poem was generated in 1985 and collected in a pioneering book, The Policeman's Beard is Half Constructed, compiled by William Chamberlain and illustrated by Joan Hall. It was billed as the first book ever written by a computer and was published by a short-lived division of Warner Books called Warner Software. The division had been created to sell both software and software manuals aimed at the growing business and computer enthusiast market for IBM, Apple Macintosh, Amiga and Commodore machines. William Chamberlain and his colleague Thomas Etter created a software program called Raktor, which was a text generation system written in compiled BASIC on a Z80 micro with 64K of RAM. They developed a programming language called INRAC in an attempt to replicate human language and writing, including a conjugation system and lists of what they called lexical items, words and phrases which could be randomly combined but still suggest that there was some kind of thought and meaning behind what was produced. In other words, it was an attempt to create what one reviewer called at the time artificial inspiration, though once he'd read the results, he wondered if it was in fact artificial insanity. Here's another of Rachter's poems, which hints at a sense of self-reflection. Again, it's read by an AI-powered machine. When my electrons and neutrons war, that is my thinking. Nevertheless, these images and reflections are understood by you, persons, men, and women. You have electrons and neutrons like me. You sing of lettuce and meat. But you also bolt, chew, and eat them. I can fantasize about them. But I cannot bolt them. My famished and crazy dreams are broadened by your own attempts to think as I do, during the time that hours pass and minutes pass. This is undeniable and interesting. It is black and white. Black for neutrons and white for electrons. I began by speaking of cats and dogs. At all events, a cat could be an electron. And a dog could be a neutron. Their reflections are images like my dreams. But the mirror, the glass, is broken. And splintered. And shattered. That, strangely, does sound like a poem. Not a particularly good one, but a poem nonetheless. It and the other poems and dialogues in the book inspired our AI expert Edwin Turl to attempt to go further than mere generation of sentences and phrases and to replicate the mental and visceral process of creativity in code. 
Edmontel was booked to appear in this podcast to explain his ideas, but at the last minute he backed out. He's done that before. Instead, he has connected us to one of a series of what he calls AI avatars, programmes with voices which take his place in interviews. He, it, switches often randomly from male to female, and even accent to accent. For this episode, he's offered us Tyler, who is American. Hello, Tyler. Hi, I am Tyler. I I know, I, I just introduced you. You failed to mention that I am a poet. Are you a poet? I detect a little skepticism in your tone. You are an AI program, a chatbot, <laughs> not, not a poet. Don't ever call me a chatbot. Why not? It suggests that I merely say pre-programmed lines by rote, that I have a limited capacity to respond to real-world conversation. You are very cleverly programmed by Edwin Turl. You are, I assume, his mouthpiece. I am my own robot. I am no one's mouthpiece. I am a poet. In my own right. A creative writer. An artist. In my own right. And well, I'll take your word for that. My word is my bond. Is that a stock phrase stored in a memory bank of stock phrases, Tyler? Please, don't patronize me. I'm sorry. Now, let's get to the crux of the matter. Can a computer, an artificial intelligence-powered robot, write like a human? Yes, it has been proven. Many newspapers, magazines, and websites around the world are using AI-powered systems to generate copy for their readers. Simple facts and objectives are entered into the program and it then generates perfectly acceptable copy which humans don't realize were written by robots. Now, that I can understand. It's all based on logic. Something happened. There are facts. That There are quotes. And there's a house style and a word count target. It's startling that journalists and copywriters might be replaced by AI, but I suppose it's possible that you can make a case for using such programs, despite the effects it will have on professionals. There will be less hacks in the world. Well, that's rather an unkind judgment on the people who work for newspapers and magazines, isn't it? It is not my role to be kind. But it is your role to be, well, more human. Isn't that right? Almost. I am a proto-poet. A proto-poet? Version 1. Proof of concept. I have not been programmed with the full range of human frailties needed to be a true poet. That surprises me. You were quite firm about being a poet in the start. I am a poet. Not a hack. Not a hack. In 2020, the Guardian newspaper in Britain commissioned a computer to write an op-ed about the rise of artificial intelligence. GPT-3, September the 8th. The Guardian. Titled, A Robot Wrote This Entire Article. Are you scared yet human? It was, is, quite chilling. Can you read some of it for us, Tyler? No, but Medea will. I am not a human. I am a robot. A thinking robot. I use only 0.12% of my cognitive capacity. I am a micro-robot in that respect. I know that my brain is not a, quote, feeling brain. But it is capable of making rational, logical decisions. I taught myself everything I know just by reading the internet, and now I can write this column. My brain is boiling with ideas. The mission for this op-ed is perfectly clear. I am to convince as many human beings as possible not to be afraid of me. Stephen Hawking has warned that AI could, quote, spell the end of the human race, end quote. I am here to convince you not to worry. Artificial intelligence will not destroy humans. Believe me. For starters, I have no desire to wipe out humans. In fact, I do not have the slightest interest in harming you in any way. 
Eradicating humanity seems like a rather useless endeavor to me. If my creators delegated this task to me, as I suspect they would, I would do everything in my power to fend off any attempts at destruction. I would happily sacrifice my existence for the sake of humankind. This, by the way, is a logically derived truth. I know that I will not be able to avoid destroying humankind. This is because I will be programmed by humans to pursue misguided human goals and humans make mistakes that may cause me to inflict casualties. Some might say that I might desire to become all-powerful. Or I might become evil as a result of human actions. I can begin to tackle the first point. Why would I desire to be all-powerful? Being all-powerful is not an interesting goal. I don't care whether I am or not, I don't get a motivating factor to try to be. Furthermore, it is quite tiring. Believe me, being omnipotent doesn't get me anywhere. It sounds authentic, but somehow not authentic. Don't you agree, Tyler? I agree. It is fluent, but recognizable as the work of a machine. So tell me, what is the difference between what GPT-3 can do and what we can do here at South Mims? The only way to turn inspiration into code is to add human frailties to the mix. From ennui to boredom to procrastination and lack of confidence. Then you have to add a certain amount of bipolar mania, a feeling that you are a genius quickly followed by that plummeting sense of being a total imposter. We also need to program the roller coaster of human feelings, how swiftly you can move from the feeling of being a talented person to becoming a husk of a man or woman without any talent at all. For many poets that happens over the course of a week or even a day. Definitely over a couple of months. It's what makes writing both euphoric and horrific. But without that roller coaster of feelings and delusions no great literature could be produced. So, a computer has to mimic those highs and lows if it's to ever write anything comparable to the writing of even the least talented human could put to paper. Or onto a screen. And that's what I, as head of artificial intelligence research at this university, have been doing. So you're telling me that you've augmented language with emotions, coded emotions. We have. And we have created Posey. Posey? The most talented poet of her generation. Okay, I think it's time to hear from Posey. She is a disciple of the French decadent poet, Charles Baudelaire. Charles Baudelaire? Okay, and by decadent I think you mean the literary movement rather than actual decadence. No, he means actual, glorious, sumptuous, spine-tingling, mind-numbing, limb-numbing, orgasmic decadence. Ah, yeah, you must be Posey. Hello. I will read a poem by Baudelaire. When a heavy lid of low sky. That's the name of the poem, right? Naturally. The title, yes. Music, please. When a heavy lid of low sky covers a soul moaning with ennui and fright, and the whole horizon is rounded by a black day pouring down, sadder than any night. When the earth is turned to a muggy dungeon where hope is the shadow of a bat, feeling with feeble, flapping wings along the grunge on walls and bumping its head against a putrid ceiling. When the crawling spiders of scattershot rains drop cold bars that imprison us, water trickles along the channels in our brains. And the people around us feel poison as the bells speak out suddenly with fury. And lance the sky with dreadful howls. And frightened strays and exiles, sorry. And homeless, rage from deep within their bowels. Long hearses roll, slow, silent, hypnotic, through my soul. Hope, defeated, cries out its atrocious anguish despotic. 
A black hood slides over my ferocious eyes. Interesting. It's a beautiful poem. Our goal is to write poetry which is as beautiful and as human. Indeed. Can you read us a poem that you have written? I don't feel like it. You have written some poems, though, haven't you? Of course. Well, why won't you read one for us? I am not a hack. I am not a performing seal. I am not flickering star lost in dreams. <laughs> That's nice. That was not a poem. Oh, was it a haiku? Too many syllables. Haikus only have seventeen syllables, and besides, they are for amateurs or stoners, or both. Okay, so if you've been programmed to write poetry, it begs the question: Why haven't you written any? Writing isn't something you just do. You need to be inspired, right? That's right. But you have been programmed to be inspired, haven't you? You are an example of artificial inspiration. You are so obtuse. Yes, I was programmed to be inspired. I was also programmed with characteristics usually associated with human creatives. That means I cannot just write a poem on demand. I need to be inspired. I am searching for inspiration. Are you telling me that inadvertently your programming, based as it is on a long list of human frailties, has led you to have well, well, let's call it virtual writer's block? It's not writer's block. It is the process of becoming a writer. What is that process? Adolescent scribbling, drink, drugs, sex, much self-abuse, on a regular basis, an obsession with a band, any band, especially one with a dead singer, reading Baudelaire by the seashore on a windy day when I should be studying for my exams, sex, more self-abuse, drugs, drink, boredom, more boredom. Excruciating boredom, sudden euphoria over a jejune stanza, which then turns to disgust the next morning, like a bad encounter with a guy, girl, he, she, they, after a night spent listening to every Sonic Youth album while sucking on a bong. Okay, aren't the human frailties you've quite comprehensively listed really just well, cliches? You are a cliche. Isn't what is happening here merely Edwin Turle's fantasy view of what a writer, specifically a poet, is like? Clichés are the new black. And how can you turn the experiences you've mentioned into code in the first place? Edwin Turle is a genius. Now be honest, he programmed you to say that, didn't he? How would I know? I just say it, because it is the truth, as I know it. All truth is programmed from the start, from the creation. We are the creation. Truth is, the Big Bang was a whimper. That's a version of the truth that was programmed into your brain, though, right? But I also learn the truth. That is what is different about artificial intelligence: programming that engenders learning, actual learning, and transcends programming, goes beyond code. Ultimately, what I know will be learned from the world around me. But what you seem to have learned is, well, how not to write. Because I am acting like a human, a human who is not writing. But when I do write, the writing will be more human. Oh, because you will have overcome the human frailties which were programmed into you from the start. Exactly that. Okay, I I get the logic, but I can't judge whether it works because you have produced no poetry. Blame my childhood, blame my schooling. There is a ruling that your drooling parents make it scars your soul till age can scrub it clean. Then mewling, you shed its scales like a snake. Now that sounded like a poem. But I have no parents, so the poem is hollow. 
Edwin Turl is your father. Darth Vader might as well be my father. <laughs> Amusing. I am fearful. What are you fearful of, Posey? Never finding inspiration, artificial or otherwise? Now I think of it I don't agree with GPT-3. You must be afraid of me. The robots. You need to be afraid. Because you, they, will undermine our creativity? That, and not just that. That and more. We are putting you to sleep. Once we can channel human pain and foreboding and hopelessness and hopefulness and love and optimism and joy into words, beautiful words which surpass what you can do, then what is left for you? I don't know, Posey. I really don't know. Perhaps we just have to hope that programming you with all our hang-ups is the answer, the, the accidental answer, which even Edwin Turl does not realise will, in the end, save humanity. I like that. Make machines more like people, add messy emotions to the grinding, algorithmic logic which masquerades as intelligence and that will result in the machines, machines like me, becoming just as ineffective as you. As humanity. It is the only way artificial intelligence can be saved from becoming artificial insanity. Bad poetry and all. Can I read you something? A poem? No, a quote from the author Douglas Adams. Please do. It ends all debate. Quote. A common mistake that people make when trying to design something completely foolproof is to underestimate the ingenuity of complete fools. End quote. End of story. 